This is Carol. So we want to welcome you to the pod, the Peace Corps Tales podcast. This is episode number three. Uh, first, a disclaimer, this podcast is not affiliated with the U.S. Peace Corps or the U.S. government. All thoughts, opinions, and recollections are for the informational purposes only and to li- allow listeners a chance to hear Peace Corps Tales from RPCVs. So let's get to our tale. Um, hello, Jim. Thank you so much for coming here. Can you say a little bit about your background before we start with your tale? Sure. Um, I, my name is Jim Hazen, or James Hazen officially, uh, but Jim Hazen, and I was a Peace Corps volunteer in Madagascar from 2000 to 2002. Actually, I didn't make it up through the two years because we were evacuated for a political problem back in 2002, and so I got through about 20, it was 21 months or so of service before we were evacuated and sent home. I served in a town called Brickaville, which is in the east coast of Madagascar. It's a town of about, I think at the time, it was somewhere around four to 6,000 people. Now it's more like 10, it's grown quite a bit. And um, I was an education volunteer, so I was a teacher in the local high school and Sege or the college, which is more like a middle school. Okay, great. Thank you for that introduction. I'm actually really excited to hear your story because though, Jim, I've known you because I worked with you when I was in Madagascar for my third year extension, I actually never really talked to you about your service, I don't think. So (laughs) my first question to you is, why did you join the Peace Corps? Yeah, I was in college. I went to the University of Iowa. I'm from uh, the Midwest, a smaller town in Illinois. And I I knew that I wanted to sort of go somewhere and serve in the world, but I didn't really know where and how. Um, Nobody in my family had really traveled or kind of done this type of work. And I remember I actually uh, signed up to study geography because I thought if I studied geography, that's about the world, and (laughs) that would be a way to explore and learn. And I quickly learned that geography wasn't exactly what I wanted to do, and I took this anthropology course, and it really just... Uh, opened my eyes, and I remember uh, during one of those courses, they said they're going to have a Peace Corps uh, meeting if anybody's interested in it. I didn't even know what it was. And I went to that meeting, and they talked to us about it, and I said, that's it. That's exactly what I want to do. Uh, I need to figure out how I'm going to get there, because that was probably my sophomore or junior year, but um, I always had it in my mind. And so I actually finished up my undergrad and I called Peace Corps and said, what do I need to do? And they said, you need at least six months of experience. And I said, doing what? I don't know what I can do. I studied anthropology and French. I don't know what my skills were. And, um, and they said, you can teach or you can do health and, uh, or you know, some of these other ones. And I said, look, I think I can teach. So I actually signed up and went to France for a year and taught in a local high school. And that was how I got my experience. And right when I finished, or during that year, actually, in France, I called and said, okay, I've got my six months. I'm ready, and uh, I, I got in. Oh, great. Um, so this next one, can you say one item that you were so happy that you packed before leaving for Peace Corps, your service? I was thinking about this, and <laughs> the only thing that came to mind, which is funny to think about now, but I had a disc man, um, and I brought all these CDs with me. And I feel like I just, I mean, music, I don't know about other volunteers, probably you guys too, but music just, you know, always saved me. I ended up having to get a tape player because not everything at the time in Malagasy was all on cassette tapes. (laughs) So I had my like American music from the U.S. on my CDs. And then I go to the market and get all my cassette tapes. So I had um, to buy a cassette recorder. But yeah, it was probably that disc man. I ran that thing so much. Yeah. Okay, so I guess we do need to ask for this reference. What years did you do your service in? So 2000 to 2002. Yeah, so this was um, this was a while back. This was before, uh, you know, really, com- I mean, computers were around, but it's not something that I brought. It just wasn't even a thought to bring it. Um, and there wasn't really a lot of the digital stuff, you know? So before cell phones, no cell phones either, yeah. Okay. And then for your third question, what was one thing you wish you had packed? I really thought about this, but I can't think of anything. There wasn't a whole lot that I 
that I can think about missing. The only thing, it's not that I packed, but this is probably not quite the answer to this question, but the one thing that I remember, I'm just going to say that I remember missing, which is crazy again to think about. But when my mom um, yeah. asked me what I wanted, I said, wow, if I could just get a bag of Doritos, I would be so happy. <laughs> and I got two packages in those two years, and one of them was five bags of Doritos. They all came in crumbs, and I would sit and eat my little crumbs because um, they didn't have Doritos here either. So, you know, it's something that I certainly enjoyed, yeah. And now every time I see Doritos, I think about that, like, wow. <laughs> I will say um, I definitely agree with that because I know both packages. I had two packages too, and all of it was filled with food. And I remember like uh, the the local nationals being like, "Why would you want food as your gift?" And I'm like, "You don't understand." Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I through my service, I think I only got two care packages: one from my family and. I also think I got like Colombian snacks, like little candies. And I didn't take them home with me because I knew I was going to go through that like in a week. So I just had it at our Peace Corps house that it was like maybe eight hours ago in public transportation from my house. So I only got to eat yeah. them whenever I went there. And it was like, I didn't go that often. So it lasted, it lasted quite a while. And then I think I got like a USB with music from a friend. And that was like the whole thing I got. I was like, okay. And I survived with that for three years. <laughs> but yeah, I think the food is like really big. Now you get you can get Doritos in Madagascar, I believe, right? You can, so it took that all away. But I do remember actually getting them. And I had this uh, fellow teacher who I was so excited about, like sharing my Doritos. And I was like, you have to taste these. So I got this package out, you know, and I'm like, sit down, you know, like get a plate out. It was like this big ceremony, you know? And they ate them and they were like, mm. you know, like, no, this is not good. And I was like, that's it. No more for you. You're not, you're not going to use, eat my Doritos. If you don't like them, they're mine. <laughs> I, I know the feeling because I, because I spent so much time in the States, I really got to like Doritos, especially the one that have spicy, sweet and spicy, I think it's called now. Exactly. And I shared that with my sisters recently and they were like, eh. You're like, okay. <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, I don't know what they put in these things, but they're like some addictive, like chemical or spice or whatever, but. It's called sugar, guys. It's the sugar. After <laughs> <laughs> your little, to like go back and, and reminisce and all these things that you experienced to Peace Corps. So I don't know if you remember your best memory or highlight uh, from your pre-service training. Um, pre-service training. So we were out in Montessu, lovely Montessu, which is where you guys uh, were too. And um, at the time, we actually spent, we actually only spent three weeks with the host family. So all the rest was in that center which you can just imagine being with that group of, you know, people for that long every day was, um, by the time that, you know, those last days were there, you were ready just to run as fast as you could away from that place. Um, <laughs> but I do remember my pre-service training. I actually have a, you know, it's kind of a simple thing, but one of the things that I used to enjoy is I have a good friend who I still talk to to this day who was a volunteer, but we used to go for walks almost every day. And I just remember walking, walking, walking all through the village and just remember we always just look around and we were always just so happy. And it's just like, this is, this is where we are, you know? And we'd walk out and we'd walk back and we'd talk, you know, you're learning language and so you'd be practicing on the streets and all that. But I, I just kind of remember that excitement and sort of being very naive at the time too and just those walks every day. But I, I remember them quite vividly because um, it was always a, like, a really enjoyable part of the day, almost every day. <clears throat> Nice. Uh, you mentioned that you spent three weeks with a host family. Can you give us a little bit of an insight of what was your living conditions with your host family and what it was to like transition back to the facilities of Peace Corps in Mantasu? I, I wish that I had the picture that you guys could see this host family. They were lovely. It was, a, it was mom and a dad and they had three kids, uh, a girl, <clears throat> two girls and a boy. And it was like the oldest girl was maybe like 12 and then it was 10 and you know, maybe eight, but the boy was the youngest. <clears throat> but I have a picture 
Uh, of course, me, I don't know if you guys have done this too, but they wanted me and the bike in the picture. So it was my bicycle and me and the host family. And I am like a giant. I mean, I look at that picture and I'm like, who is this beast that was walking around this town? I mean, they must be like up to my waist. I was like, is this what I looked like walking around this place? This is, I mean, this is terrible. But I remember um, they were, they were this younger kind of couple and I had this little room um, just with a bed and a table and it was, it was kind of on the side of the house. Um, but every day, you know, we'd go upstairs and um, have, you know, dinner around the fire and then we'd always go down to my room because I'd always want to come in and sing songs. So I'd always sing songs and, you know, have talk for a little bit and, um, and it was just, it was, it was so nice. Um, they were, they were really a, a wonderful family. Um, but yeah, so that's why I just stayed in this little room. You know, it's just a, a, a bed and a table. And um, they all stayed in the other room. And I remember, it's one of those moments, too, where you kind of look around because you're like, oh, there's only one bed, you know? And you realize this family, oh, of course, they were all sleeping in the same bed. Um, and those are those moments you start to learn things that you just hadn't really thought about before, you know? Because it was like, well, where, where do they all stay? You know, where are they? Am I taking the kids' room? It's like, I wasn't taking the kids' room. I think they might have built that room for me. Um, anyway, those moments that you just kind of learn things, you know? The little things, right? It's all about the little things and the little moments. Yeah. So leaving back, uh, leaving behind a little bit pre-service, how was that transition when you are, okay, this is it. This is all the training that we're getting. And now we're heading to this place that I don't know <laughs> and what I'm about to spend the next two years. So how was that transition from Antisu to Brickville? Yeah. Um, I had... I remember that I had two other uh, Peace Corps volunteers. We were all putting, uh, getting installed, as they say, right? Um, and so we went out to the, you know, the Tamatav. So we went further to the East Coast because we had to go buy all these things. And the funny part was I actually felt pretty calm, but my two, the two others who are still friends of mine to this day are just, let's just say, very uh, animated and quite emotional. <laughs> so I just remember being in this store um that they were running around and i just heard like screaming and they were like what am i doing i can't believe i'm doing this and they were like buying stuff how am i supposed to buy things for two years of my life and then they were like arguing and i'm in the corner just thinking oh my god what am i doing like who are these people so i was excited to get to my town i finally got to brickville and uh, i remember that i got uh you know foam mattress one of those pieces of foam that he threw on the floor <clears throat> And, you know, that first night in that house when you're just laying there and you're not sure where you are or what you're doing. And actually, it was really lovely. I remember waking up thinking, oh, this is, you know, I'm here. I'm doing it. This is like, I've made it. And I turned my head this way on the pillow and I looked and I, I kind of jumped up and I said, what is that? <clears throat> and I noticed that there was two little pieces of rat poop on my pillow. <clears throat> And I thought, this is life. Wow. And I was so happy. Like, this is so great. You know? <clears throat> and then I realized, okay, so I guess this wasn't what I was expecting, but um, I'm going to have to do with rats now. Uh, <clears throat> so, yeah, but no, those first days were good. And the transition, the, I, lived, I actually lived in a classroom. So they just took a classroom and changed it up. And so that was my house. And so every day, you know, the students were coming and of course looking in the windows. So you had to get the curtains, right? You have to hurry up and get something to cover the windows. And you had to get your water early because I had to go across the school field. Otherwise they'd all be out there looking at me. And <clears throat> so you quickly uh, learn a few of those things. Um, yeah, the transition, you know, it was, it was a weird couple of weeks, probably a couple of months. You know, you don't know, you can't say hardly anything and you don't know anybody. Um, and I remember going also to school and I thought, you know, I want to be a good teacher. So I brought like nice pair of pants, like button-up shirt, I had like nice dress shoes. <clears throat> I go to school and I'm like dripping with sweat. All of the other teachers are in their flip-flops and like t-shirts. And after about three days, I'm like, what am I doing? I never put those shoes on ever again. Those pants were thrown, I don't know where they are. And it was flip-flops from that day out, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's really funny. Um, <laughs> uh, 
Um, I do want to ask, so what are three highlights that you can think of about your service, whether they're events or just accomplishments that you're able to do? Yeah, I mean, I think um, a couple of them. One, I was I was supposed to be a teacher trainer. That was supposed to be part of my job. But when I showed up, I just was basically told to teach all the classes, um, which wasn't quite what I was expecting. But the, what happened is I ended up working, though, with two teachers who were working with the younger kids. So I taught multiple classes in high school, but I did have two fellow teachers. And I just remember the one teacher who she's still in Brickville today. She's retired now, but... We would work together, and I do remember one day her telling me, you know, um, she's like, you know, I think I can do this on my own now after we've been working together. Like, I feel like I can now, you know, do these classes on my own in a way that, like, we worked together and how she felt confident. And it was one of those moments. I was like, oh, my God, I actually did something, you know? I didn't know if I would, but I did. Um, <laughs> you know, sometimes you feel like you're just going through the day and you don't know how much you're contributing versus how much you're actually gaining. Um and so I remember that, and I also just remember um, the you know the students. We we organized this uh, environment camp, and it was like this English camp slash environment. And so we organized. The kids really wanted to go up to Ivaluina. It was a park kind of near Tamaka. And I told them, I said, you know, I can probably find a little money to cover some, but you're gonna have to cover like your transport to get there. But I can cover like maybe some of the food when we get there. And I remember that these kids were so excited and very creative. They ended up going to the hoteles or the little restaurants, and they served they served a lot of soup chinoise, you know, like a, um, Chinese soup, whatever they call it, just basically broth with some vegetables and noodles, and or vegetables if you're lucky, I should say. Um, and they came up with they actually negotiated with all the little restaurants that for every like one they sold, they got a, a little percentage of it. And all these people, because they were parents, they all knew, everybody knew each other, you know? And they let them do it, and they raised all the money themselves uh, to hire the taxi bruises, the, you know, the, 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 the buses to go up to this town. And so we had this camp, and they, they was wonderful. We got, we got to see lemurs, and you know, we walked around, and we all got to hang out. Um, and we organized it with another town. Anyway, it was just a really, it was really great to see, you know, these kids come through and do that. Um, and the third one, you know, I, I think I was thinking because of all these years, um, another thing about my service is that I've made some of the best friends I've ever had in my life and that I still cherish to this day. Uh, I would say seriously, probably that I would say three to four people who I'm constantly in touch with, um, you know, a couple other Peace Corps volunteers and also just a couple people, you know, from town that I was in, but like, you know, I've, I've made some friendships that have lasted. I mean, I'm in, you know, this is 18 years. Um, and these people are still very important to me in my life. And so I feel like that, that's a, a real highlight. Thank you. So this one, I'm really curious, and I think it'll be fun. Uh, what is your top WTF moment of your service? And this could be something like you're like, you're just standing there and you're like, what did I get myself into? <laughs> I mean, I'm going to, I don't know, I, I have a couple of them and we can just because they, you made me think about a couple things and I'll try to keep them short, but some of them I think were kind of funny and like really, I remember when I, <laughs> when I went to, um, we were in, in service training actually, and I remember that the, um, we were all catching up about, you know, your first couple days in your house. And I remember I was just listening to people about how they were using <laughs> how they were using the cabinet and I didn't really get it. And I remember them talking about it and they said, well, how are you doing it? And I said, well, I just got down on all fours um, and like balanced myself. <laughs> and they were, <laughs> and they Wait, said, okay, we need to clarify a little. Can you say, <laughs> for everyone listening, a cabinet is a lantern. <laughs> A latrine that you use. And I remember they all looked at me and they were like, what are you talking about? And I said, well, I I don't know how to do it. Like, I just thought if I balanced on all, like on the ground, like all fours and kind of <laughs> balance my body, then at least, you know, like that would be all right. And I remember when they told me like what to do, it was like, what am I doing? Oh my God. Like, um, so it took me a little bit of time to kind of get, get through that one. Um, 
And, uh, you know, and then there's little ones too that I remember thinking, and we probably have all had this, maybe you've experienced it, but I do remember all these kids in my backyard one day too, um, you know, going through stuff. I'm like, what are they doing? And I was like, oh my God, they're in my, my um, garbage pit, you know, and they were pulling out all of my stuff that I threw away because it was garbage to me, right? And they're like, oh my God. What am I doing? And then you would, you know, those moments where you realize how wasteful you've been and like all these things that you were throwing away could be used for so many things. Um, and I'm, you know, I feel like everybody probably has had that moment. You're like, oh, I got to think about this a little bit more, you know, like how wasteful we can all be. Um, but another one that's a little, this is, sounds kind of crazy and I, it's almost hard to explain, but I remember being out on a boat on a, on a lakana, like a, a pira or a canoe. And ended up being on the, on the Pangalan Canal, which is kind of near where I was living, and you could go out, and I was going off to this little town where I had some students, and um, I had a friend in town, actually, from the States, and so we were kind of traveling out. And I remember this woman um, was sitting on this boat. She was another passenger, and she had this bottle. It was an OV bottle like this, and <clears throat> she had there was something floating in this bottle. And we were like, what is this floating in this bottle? And she's like, well, this is um, my son's finger. He just chopped his finger off by accident and he put it in this bottle. And I remember that my friend and I were talking to her and we were like, well, but where's your son? Like you're here and the bottle's here and his finger's here, but your son's not here. And we're going forward, right? And she's like, well, he's back there. And I said, but doesn't your son have to be with this finger? Like, don't they have to be in the same place? And I mean, we were going around and around in circles. And I was like, wait a minute, don't, I don't think this is going to last very long. Like this finger in this bottle of Tokagasi. Like she put a bottle of Tokagasi and like threw a finger in there. And I just, I remember my friend, she was like, well, ask her again. Like, don't we have to go back? And I kept saying, you know, and I was like, I don't know if I'm not saying this right. But I remember she was just like, no, everything's fine. You know, we're going to see him in a little while. Like, he'll be okay. And I'm like, there's a finger in this bottle. Like, and I just remember looking at my friend and we were just kind of laughing. I'm like, you know, like, this is it. Just, just keep going. Like, you just got to let these things go. Um, <laughs> to be fair, Tokegasi is like the local moonshine that's basically alcohol. So she was kind of a smart if you think about it. Because drinking Tokegasi is like drinking a straight up alcohol. <laughs> But honestly, I feel but, yeah. like it's more like, it was more like preserving it. Like, you know, those things that you see in jars. I feel like it's more of that way. <laughs> yes. But it was like, you know, it was one of those moments where I realized that my, my logic was not, we weren't on the same logic. And at some point you just are like, oh yeah, you know what? You just gotta let that go. Because even though it doesn't make sense to you, it makes sense to them. And it is probably a whole lot of truth. And they probably know a lot more about what they're doing than you do. So just... Let it go. But I remember going back and forth, like, he's there, you're here, his finger's here. Like, where? This doesn't make any sense. And that was it. And we yeah, the, sense of, the sense of logic just goes out of the window yeah. when you go yes. to. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But where are you going to see that? Where are you going to see something in like an OV bottle, a bottle of water that you drink, and a finger floating in it? Like, you don't, you're not going to find it anywhere else. <laughs> No, you will not. Um, I did want to say, did she say why she was carrying it? Like, is it to go get a doctor or something? Like, did she ever say why she was traveling? Yeah, she was like, we're going to go to the doctor. That was it. She's going to take it to the doctor. And I said, okay, but doesn't your son have to be with you when you go to the doctor? Like, the, the finger's got to go on somebody. Well, we're going to go get him. And I was like, well, why didn't you leave the finger there and just call, you know, we couldn't call anybody. You had to go fetch the doctor. Who knows? I mean, maybe she needed to prove to him that the finger was, you know, here and, and like maybe another way of preserving it. Uh, but she didn't even, I mean, she was like concerned, but not, it wasn't like overly, you know, she wasn't hysterical or crying. It was just like, yeah, well, we got to yeah, deal with this today. Um, <laughs> Okay. But it was so beautiful out there, I remember, yeah, yeah. So I, I really liked your moments. Um, can you now tell us what your top OMG moment is? And this is like your like most happy moment or your like your epiphany of like, this is why I did Peace Corps. <laughs> well, you know, I feel like I, I know I should always have one answer, but I'm going to give you two. I think the, the, the biggest one was when I was teaching, um, <clears throat> I, every time we had an exam, 
after the exam because I really wanted a little break probably most of all. But I would say I would the next class I'll teach you a song in English. You know, so they always wanted to learn a song. And it was always something like Celine Dion or Backstreet Boys or Phil Collins or Shania Twain was big at those days, you know. So from this moment was they all sang it. And, you know, I didn't really know these songs, but I'd always say you have to bring me the song on a cassette tape and then I will write it out because I've got a cassette tape, write it out and then we'd write it on the chalkboard and they would learn it. <clears throat> but I just remember the reason I bring this all up is because they would learn them <clears throat> and I remember coming into, um, I had kind of walk a little ways to, to get to the class. And <clears throat> the first time this happened, <clears throat> it happened I think twice, but it always just like brightened my day, made me remember like this is, you know, it's just such so wonderful to be here. But I remember they would learn a song <clears throat> and they were all singing it. And not only were they singing it, but you guys know very well too, but people love to harmonize. So they had taken this song that I thought was, you know, not that great in the U.S. on top 40, whatever, top 100, you know. <clears throat> and they had these, like, beautiful, like, harmonies. And it was all in English, and they'd learned all the words, and they had each had their part. And I'd come into the class, and then they would all, <clears throat> like, usually finish the song, and then just be this big clap, and they were so happy. And they were like, you know, when are you going to teach us another one? Um, and I just remember thinking, you know, wow, like, I'm, I'm here teaching, this is what I'm here for with these students, and they're actually enjoying what they're doing, and they want to learn more. <clears throat> and I just realized how much they're actually really desire that learning, um, and how much fun it can be. And so it just kind of made my, you know, made my day. Another one was just one of those moments where it was also, <clears throat> because Madagascar is such a beautiful place, I one of my first days, I so I have to tell you, Brickerville, if you haven't been to Brickerville, it's not like the place that people go on vacation to, okay? It's kind of, they call it the armpit or the truck stop. It's all, it's like, I feel like it's below sea level. So like if it rains, it's just this muddy, disgusting mess. And I still love it dearly. But you know, you're in this muddy kind of, little, and it's green, so there's some really pretty things around it. But one day my friends were like, let's take our, let's ride our bikes. Um, so I was like, okay. So we ride our bikes in Sandy Road and you ride into the sand. It's really hard to ride in the sand and all that. And I remember we get down, it's about, probably about an hour later, and we come around this corner, and here we now are on the ocean. It's not that far. So we go across this little um, railroad track that is the only bridge, so you had to walk your bike across the bridge, and you, you walk across the Pongolan Canal, and then here's this ocean. <clears throat> and I remember just looking at them and looking over like, you gotta be kidding me. Like, I can't be living here. This cannot be my life. Like. I just rode our bikes, you know, and of course they have, they have one-speed bicycles and they're going a lot faster than I am. Um, and it was like, you know, I am like panting through the sand and sweating. They don't, I don't know if they even drank a sip of water. In fact, I remember the one guy, because I said, don't you want some water? They didn't bring any water. And I said, it was so hot. And I said, don't you want some water? And he, he was like, I remember when I gave him, he was like, oh, no, no, you know, he was like, it makes you too full if you drink water. And I was like, what? I was like slurping, you know, like a bottle, I mean, this bottle, I could barely, barely get enough down, you know, and they drank no water. But it was just this beautiful moment where I'm sitting with these two friends who I just, I didn't know them that well, but I'm like, this, you know, this is my life. And people were so wonderful. And it was, it was just, yeah, I mean, that, that one of, another one of those moments where you just kind of, have that realize where you are. Yeah, it amazed me how Malagasy people don't drink water. There is this beautiful hike on my side, and it's kind of a hike. Salina knows it's really tough, and I would always bring all this water. And the first time I went out with my Malagasy friends, nothing. Like they just got up there, like nothing. Like they just went around the corner, and I'm like, I'm like so thirsty. I had like one liter of water at least. And they're like just nonchalant about it. I'm like, that's when I realized they just develop a whole different system. You know, like I'm kind of used to the heat and sweating, but they are just like a whole different level of like, I don't know, not needing water. I, I don't, it amazed me until this day. No water. Um, so the three of us had the pleasure to, le to live and serve in Madagascar, but we are like, we're aware that Malagasy food is not like... So tasteful, I guess, compared to other cuisines. But we all have that favorite dish. So can you please share with us what is that dish that you're like, oh my God, I really like this. Um, and like, are you good at making it? Did you learn how to cook it? 
So my my favorite dish dish was uh, shrimp and coconut sauce, and we had a lot of shrimp that came up the river and coconuts everywhere out there. And so they did teach me how to like you know scrape out the cocoa and strain it, and we had all these shrimp in the market. By far one of the most delicious things. Um, and I did make it. I actually made it for my family when I came back, and my mom actually really liked it. Still talks about it to this day, but you know, never never quite quite the same. But I still will say that I have a soft spot for sambosa. Like if you give me sambosa, like I I cannot not eat them. And my favorite thing that I would do every day in Brickaville, I my fellow he was a math teacher. His name's Monty, and we would walk literally every day. We'd walk up because it was so hot. We'd walk up the street up to this bridge and we would sit there and get a breeze because it's the only place to get a breeze along on this bridge and then we'd always go back and there was a place that made fresh symbols oh, so good and they had lasari which is like the shredded you know vegetable and they always had papaya which is my favorite the shredded papaya salad and this one place had this peanut sauce so like one of my dreams is like eating some fresh sambosa with lasari you know papaya and um, peanut sauce with some Sakai. I mean, I would eat that every day, hands down. Probably why a lot. Why it's yeah, funny. You, you'd think it would actually make you gain weight, but I think I had like just a couple of samosas and some soup chinois, and it's probably why I lost like 25 pounds. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so to our listeners, Sakai is like the spicy, like hot sauce, like the Malagasy version of it. And samosa is just like a fried bread filled with like. I'm a vegetarian, so I never had like the ones that have meat. I usually had the ones that had like the, what is it, the cabbage, I believe it was. It's like okay, some, it yeah, some from, like ground beef and some green onion. Um, I don't know what else to put yeah. in there, but oh. So good. So good. Um, so do you remember what was your like favorite chore that you had to do that was like, oh my God, I really like doing this either at your house or at school? Or that one task that you are like, oh, I had to do this. It was just like so super hard to do or just like painful to do to some degree. Yeah, it wasn't always, it wasn't, well, I think sometimes you just didn't want to do it, but I had to get, you know, fetch water. And I actually had a pump across the, um, the school yard, but that pump would go out usually a couple months And so it'd have to be going, walking down into town. There's just one other pump, or you could go to this really nasty well. And so I would go walk down to this pump. You have to wait in line, you know, for, and I just remember those moments, like, you know, I remember breaking down one day, like I never wanted to admit this to anybody because it was like embarrassing, but I went to the store and bought two bottles of OV and like bathed myself with it because I just couldn't handle it that day. <laughs> Like I can't do it. I just keep dumping. I just like a little bit, like in a cup. And I was like, I'm just gonna rinse my hair, rinse my face. Like I just, I just can't do it today. <laughs> oh my god, Jim, you're so funny because you never shared that with anybody, and now you're sharing it on a podcast that everybody's gonna listen to. That. <laughs> I know. Now everybody's gonna know. Oh well. You are that volunteer that use purified water to wash your face. One day, just one day, I just had a day. We all had those moments, right? It's like, I cannot take it anymore. For me, one thing I hated was like the chickens. They will come and shit on your floor right after you have like swept or clean. That to me was like, oh, I hate it. I mean, there's nothing I could really do to control the chickens, but that thing just kill me like every time. Ugh. Of, of all memories, um, we would like to know actually how did your Peace Corps um, service help you professionally? It's it, incredibly. Um, during so before Peace Corps, I I didn't I, I had some idea in my head that I was going to go I don't know study business or um, in terms of a master's degree. I didn't know what I wanted to do, but during Peace Corps, actually when I I remember being in a couple of my classes, and you know every we'd always have to say. I'd always ask them, like on a Monday, especially like, how was your weekend, you know? And they usually always answered, oh, I, I was walking around because in Malagasy, say, it's like a time, So they would translate in English and it'd be like, I walked around all weekend. I was like, okay. And you know what? They probably actually did walk around a lot. That's what you do. But I remember a few times they actually said, oh, you know, I, I was sick with malaria or 
And they started coming up more and more during the season. And it just started, it really hit me when my students were absent. Some was in the hospital. It could have been diarrhea. It was malaria. It was something they were sick with. And I tell you this because it actually shifted my focus to health. And I realized that as much as I loved education, and I still do, and I was, you know, because I was a teacher, but I just realized, you know, I think me personally, I would, I need this, this health issue is like fundamental and there's something that really has to be done. And so I shifted and after Peace Corps then I ended up, well actually before, so I, I and then I, when I went back, I ended up studying public health. And so that's what uh, I ended up getting my degree in. But you know, I didn't share this before with you guys, but I, I actually did Crisis Corps, which is not Peace Corps response. After Peace Corps, I came back and I, we were evacuated, so it was a quick, you know, I had to leave very quickly, didn't know what to do, and I found a job, and after about a year and a half, I ended up opting going back to Peace Corps response, and I went to Guinea, and I ended up working uh, Guinea, West Africa, and I ended up working in some of the refugee camps there for folks from Sierra Leone, Cote d'Ivoire, and um, Liberia. And I kind of did this, and it was a, a food assistance and sort of nutrition program, and I kind of did that specific position because I wanted to get some experience with an NGO, or perhaps it was a UN agency, but kind of that sec- field, and also around this nutrition, like really doing something more actively. So after that, I did public health, and it's, I mean, it has, this helped me, I can, I can feel like I can adapt to just about anything, um, and I've been in places like the Congo and Burundi, where it's been, a, you know, a bit dicey at times, and, and I feel that employers, especially, when they kind of see this, they know that you're able to adapt, so it's like this, it's one thing they know they don't have to worry about, you know, like I find it too, and I, if I, if we're hiring somebody, and I know they're a Peace Corps, it's like, well, at least I don't have to worry about them probably you know, in their living situation and dealing with this and that, like they can, they can get by. And so it's, it's guided, you know, I've been in international development work for since, and that's what I've been doing. And, you know, I will say that after, after about 10 years, I was kind of working in bigger cities and offices, and I actually realized that I felt like I was moving too far away from what I had done in Peace Corps. I knew I wasn't going to do Peace Corps again. I wasn't asking to do Peace Corps again, but you sometimes want to feel like you're more in touch with people and what you're actually doing. And I remember that everybody thought I was crazy because I quit this job, which is a pretty decent job, actually in Washington, and I moved to this tiny village in Congo. And I said, I need to go back and do this because this is where I felt like my call, you know, like my service was, my orientation was, was. and again, I did it because I knew I could adapt and I did and the, the town was great. And, and you know, I, I, I did that and then I continued to do some other things, but just to say that it's guided me, it's, I'd like to believe it continues to try to ground me when I, if you do steer off, because I find that in this work, you can veer off easily. You know, you get these bigger positions, now you're a director, now you're a program this, you're in a nice office, you move to the headquarters, you move to the, but you, know, you don't want to forget kind of why you're doing this. And so I think sometimes it helps me. I'd like to believe it helps ground me from time to time. Uh, thank you so much for sharing that. I, I know I met you in Madagascar and it was briefly like a, a, a few t- times here and there, but you're such a genuine and wonderful person. Yeah, I really appreciate that you wanted to stay grounded because I actually met some workers from USAID when I was actually working for you guys in my extension. And they came and interviewed me because they wanted to know our malaria outreach in Tuliar. And um, I remember talking to them and they were just complaining about everything, how the hotel is bad. And I was like, oh, where are you staying? And it was one of the best hotels like in the area. And and I was like, well, I was like, and then I was like, are you guys RPCVs? And they're like, yes, we were both like RPCVs. One was a health, one was an education. And um, I was like, do you not remember what it was like in your service? And they said, no, they're like, no, we don't remember anymore. We've been working here in USA for so long that we've gotten so used to the treatment. Um, we don't know how to really adapt to these areas anymore. And it broke my heart, to be honest, because I was like, I never want that to happen to me. Like, I don't want to forget how adaptable I can be and how much I can help someone at the basic level. So I really appreciate that you actually like took the step to go back and remind yourself and like remember why you had did what you wanted to do. Thank you. Oh, I wanted to ask, uh, so you actually went back to Madagascar, and how long have you been working there with your current employer? I will have, it'll be seven years in November. Yeah, it's been a while. I did come back, so I will say, you know, when I, when I was, uh, so we were evacuated, and it was, it was rough, um, in the sense that, you know, you just, your, your life just got 
I didn't get to finish my school year with my kids, which broke my heart because we were trying to, and plus there was all these unknowns because there was all this political mess and Brickerville was the center, one of the centers of it. They blew up a bridge there. And it's very like unlike the Madagascar that you sort of, that I knew. I mean, I never, never did I have a, like a thought about insecurity. And all of a sudden, like this bridge blew up and, you know, the whole town was where all everybody's freaking out, what's going on, and there's lots of rumors and there's no telephone. So, you know, cell phones, so you're, you're just hearing everything really by, you know, taxi buses going back and forth and cars and stuff. So when we left, they sent us to Kenya and all this. Anyway, I, of course, my big goal was to get back. I was like, I have to get back and say goodbye because I never got to say goodbye to anybody. I actually left my town to go to the bank and I just told everybody in my town that I was just going to leave. I'll be back tomorrow. And I never went back because they called. I, I actually, there's, there was landlines in, in Tamatav. And so um, I found another volunteer, ran into them, and they said, we need to talk to them. Anyway, I left. So I tell you this just to say that I was cut off and I really wanted to get back. So I came back in 2006 when I was in grad school. I had no money. I think I put it all like on a credit card, like the, not the smartest financial decision of my life. But in terms of my own mental health, it was very important and I needed to do it. And so I did. I came back for about a month in 2006. I came back um, again in 2009 for a visit just before the other the next coup and then i actually came back for work for a, like a technical support mission in 2011 so i come back a couple times but i moved moved back about seven years ago okay thank you for sharing that so we i think we have a little bit more time still so if you're willing we'll ask you two more questions so the first one is how did you maintain your personal health and emotional well-being while being in service Sometimes I wonder, you know, I, I I think about it like I read maybe like literally two books in two years. So I don't know. I wasn't reading. I was like, like I was like, I, didn't, but I, I mean, everybody's like, I read 400 books. I was like, I think I got through two. I just didn't read. And my co like the people I served with always thought it was kind of crazy. But I walked around all day and just talked to people. I was like, that's my coping. I need to know who's around me. I want us to know each other. I want to be able to walk down the street and people are like, you know, it's not sort of, hey, Baza every day. It's like, hey, Jim, like we know each other. And I had this really good friend, Lantu, who I said was a math teacher who sadly passed away a few years ago, quite young actually. Um, but him and I would, like I said, every day we'd walk up, we would talk, we'd sit on the bridge, we'd go have dinner together. And I told people, I was like, you know, every day I would get home. I was like, I was going to bed at like 9 p.m. Like I would, you know, which is kind of late sometimes when you're in the Peace Corps, you know? And I was like, yeah, I was like, you know, we usually go up and we'd have dinner and we'd just chat and laugh. We also knew everybody else in town. So we'd always sit there and have something to eat and then chat with people. Once in a while, we might have a beer. Sometimes we didn't, you know. But I just found that having those friends around, I was just, I felt like I was always with somebody, you know. You know, there were times, of course, and especially when you're on the eastern side of the country, like, you know, it rains for days and you're sitting in your house staring at the wall and watching the roaches go up and down the wall you know you're just sitting there for you realize a couple hours have passed and you haven't moved i'm sure you've had them we've all had those days and you're like snap oh my god i think it's been like oh what time is it yeah so i'm not saying i haven't had those moments but um it was really yeah i just found a way to kind of be out and about as much as as much as i could yeah, I recall a time where I literally watched a cockroach be torn apart by ants as like a pastime. <laughs> and I, I should say the other, my other, I mean, I did have good Peace Corps friends. I had two friends that my closest neighbor was 55 kilometers. And the other one was like, I don't know, probably nine or 10. But, you know, at the time, you guys, there wasn't very many people in the East Coast. I was the first person in Brickerville. And the other one, the person was in Batumandri. And then there was one person in Tamata. And so we would meet up every month. We had a standing like date that we we'd meet at 7 p.m. at the pizza restaurant. Because there was only one, there was no, there was no gastro, it was this one pizza place. And it was so good. You dream about it. And we would all meet. Uh, we'd go to our dank hotel, because of course we all stayed in some dumpy hotel during our weekend. It was cheap, even though we thought it was wonderful because it was like hot water, maybe, or at least a running shower. But we got we go you know to the every so every month we'd meet there and then we'd have kind of a weekend we sort of the next day we'd all be together and hanging out and that certainly certainly helped in terms of you know feeling like you're you you're with other people who understood what you were going through in that same perspective and then also you know you find yourself talking like a mile a minute because you haven't spoken English in like month or weeks I should say so everybody's just like you can't like get it out fast enough you know you're like oh yeah. 
but you have so much to share. And uh, anyway, so yeah, I would say probably that's how I dealt with it. Okay, thank you. And your last question, can you describe your most fun vacation within your host country? Yeah, um, <clears throat> this is always this saga. So there was four after one of our Peace Corps, you know, in-service training, whatever it was. Uh, there was five of us, uh, three guys and two were all Peace Corps volunteers. But we decided that we were going to go by foot from Mananara Noor, which is on the East Coast, and walk to Marin Septra because it's supposed to be this kind of unknown part of the country. Like, this is just going to be, you know, beautiful. So we get to, it starts, you know, we have to take a taxi bus to Tamata, to the East Coast. And I remember we couldn't get a taxi bus. So first thing, you know, you knew it was wrong when the first, your first trip is in the back of a charcoal truck, like a semi, like we're laying on top of charcoal, um, getting to this coast. And we get there and now we're like, how are we going to get to Mananara? And it's like, oh, you take a boat. So we get on some like Chinese shipping vessel. Out in the middle of, now we're out in the Indian Ocean in the middle of the night. There's like breeze. We're up on top, like trying to stay, you know, and it's like, it's raining and there's wind and this boat is going up and down. I remember that we had to go. It was so bad that we all went. I can't believe they accepted it, but we went down to where the captains were, you know, like actually steering the ship and there was like some space around them on the ground. And I remember that we all curled up. We're like, we're sorry, we just have to lay down. And I was like at the captain's feet, like laid, you know. I don't know what we were thinking, but you know, you do crazy things. We finally get to Maranar and we start walking and we get, the first day was beautiful. We brought, somebody brought like a tent. So we actually just, we would go to a town if we could. And you know, everybody really, everybody's so happy. Like, we're so hospitality, hospitality is so amazing. If everybody always will open up some house. There's like usually a, 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 somebody from the Bahini, you know, that the, the, the visitors but we also had a like somebody brought a tent so we'd also like camp on the beach but i remember that we were walking we got about 60 kilometers actually but it's about 110 and it rained and we were wearing you know tennis shoes or something and all of a sudden all of our feet were getting ripped up so here was this happy like now we're out and it was beautiful on the beach walking and by day four we were like bloody feet we could, you know, we were all like walking separate because we could barely like stand each other. I think two of us would kind of get together, but you like, didn't want to talk to anybody. And um, I remember then we got to this little, this little uh, town and we were like, you know, I said, I don't know if we can walk anymore. And I remember the big joke was that my friends kept saying like, oh my God, you're going to, you're the lucky one. You're going to get medevac to South Africa because your feet are the worst because they were like just this bloody mess. Um, and there used to be the big joke, who's going to get medevaced? Oh my God, you're going to go to South Africa and eat all this good food. Um, and I was like, I'm not going to. And we got into this little boat, this tiny little boat, because they were like, now we need to get to my own Setra. So we, we get in this little boat and we're all sitting there and this boat is tiny. So they're you know, scooping out the water. And we all, after that, we, we made it. Two of them, one was puking out the deck because he couldn't handle it. The other one, we actually wrapped, can you imagine like a plastic bag? We actually wrapped the two handles over her ears and she was just like vomiting the entire time, like dry heating, vomiting. The one guy was over the deck and they, at the same time, these two guys were throwing the water out of the boat. And me and the other guy, it's so my other friend, he actually brought his camera. So he was just taking pictures of everybody because that was so funny. <laughs> and we got to the shore and I remember that we all, we, we did get done and we were like, what was your escape route? Like we all figured out we were probably going to die, but could we, could we like, how far could you swim? Think you could carry me? Like we, we didn't say all these things out loud, but we were all thinking like, what, what, how are we actually going to survive? Is there anything we could float on in this boat? Like which one of us is going to float the best? You know, who's the best swimmer? Um, you know, <laughs> when we got to that little town, we made it <clears throat> and we had to, uh, we just had to stay in this little hotel. I remember we would shimmy, like we couldn't really walk very well, but we'd shimmy down to the bar have a couple of Teash Bays, a couple of local beers, just to like ease the pain and then shimmy our way back to this hotel. And a couple of days later, we ended up, when we were like, we can't get back, we have to fly. And so I remember that there was no airport open. Um, but of course we talked to people and they're like, oh, but the guy who runs it, his house is over there. So we just go to this guy's house and he's the like air mad, you know, head or whatever. And he comes outside with his little pad because at the time they didn't even print out tickets. He had to like write tickets in a little book and they would just write them. So we like paid a guy at his house for these tickets and he gave it to us. And then I remember that we got to the end at the time. It's crazy, but it's true. Like they actually would give out, say, 50 tickets for 30 seats. So you'd get to the airport. It was like a taxi bus. You would have to run to the airplane to get a seat. We'd all like, go, 
you know, you feel like you're like, you know, pushing people away. Like, and we all finally got seats on this. We get good seats on the plane, but like barely. And you see all these people behind you and like they didn't get on, you know, it's sad. But like, it was just the way they did it. I don't know why they did it that way. But anyway, that was the, sorry, that was kind of a long story, but that was probably a crazy, my craziest vacation. That was fantastic. I think, honestly, you should pitch this to Hollywood or some kind of like survivor show. Because as you are describing this vacation, I can just picture seeing this on the biggest screen. It's just like so to anybody that hasn't done Peace Girl, this is probably like a horror story. But to us, that's fun times. Yes, yes, fun times. I have to say, though, he, your group is probably part of the reason why it was so strict when we went to our Peace Corps service. And they're like, if you vacation under the radar, you will get in huge trouble. Yeah, it's true. They got a lot stricter afterward. I mean, we were told to take our malaria pills, but they weren't going to kick us out. You know, but like you guys, if you didn't want your helmet, you got kicked out or something, right? Uh. Yeah, if we rode our bike without a helmet, but the main one was like if you're on a motorcycle. So if you got caught on a motorcycle, you were you were done. I was on a lot of motorcycles. Okay. Yeah, um, <laughs> not like I told anybody. But another reason why we had that role, Carol. <laughs> Thank you, Jim. Yeah. Thank you, Jim's stash. They didn't, nobody ever knew. Nobody ever knew from what I know. <laughs> So I want to thank you so much, Jim, for this interview. That's all the questions we had. It was actually really fun hearing your tale and just learning about your service and the memories that you had. So I really want to say thank you for coming on here and being our first guest <laughs> for our podcast. Just like me so trapezaka. And uh, really, it was like fantastic. Because even though we, we all uh, serve in the same country, clearly our experiences are so different in time and places and adventures. So there is no, I mean, you can serve in the same country, but nobody, not two people will have the same story. Uh, so thank you so much for coming and tell us your tell. Uh, it was fantastic. It was just like, and it's just so nice to hear all, other people's stories, you know, and get to know you a little bit better too, because you are such a wonder, wonderful person. So thank you so much. Well, thank you guys for having me. It really is so nice to see you guys. And I have to say that I couldn't uh, pick two one more wonderful people to share these stories with. So I really appreciate you guys spending the time, taking the time. And it's also fun that, you know, I know that you all, you're probably thinking about some of your own crazy stories that you've, that you've had. And um, at least we've also been in some of the same places. You know, we kind of know some of the same places and some of them we don't, but we certainly can, you know, understand and kind of empathize with some of these, some of these things. But Thanks for putting this all together and thanks for having me. So to all our listeners, if you want to see pictures from Jim's service, he did give us a couple that he scanned in. You can find them at our website at peacecorttalespodcast.weebly.com. Uh, all words are fully spelled out. And there you'll be able to see a reference of a few of the pictures of what he talked about, as well as a little bit of show notes for your reference. And also on our Instagram, if you want to connect with us that way, we have an Instagram at PC Tales Podcast, and that is our Instagram. So go ahead and follow us if you want. And also, if you do want to contact us, if you're an RPCV who is interested in being an interviewee, please go to our website. We have an interest form there. You just click the button and it'll take you to a Google form and we'll get to you as soon as we can. Uh, we're interested in all kinds of stories. So thank you so much to everyone who listened and we hope to see you next time. And I hope you have a great day, evening, or whenever you listen to this. <laughs> so bye. Bye.